podcast aid played nobody my name is steven godfrey you can reach me at 38 godfrey on both twitter and instagram um this is podcast ain't played nobody i hate your team but man this is a good week of college football before we get to it and our new combined tasting menu i'm putting bud and richard together uh i got a couple announcements a lot of house cleaning here um you may have noticed us doing some cross promotion on social we are working with um, Bomani Jones, former uh, former colleague of some of ours, uh, over at ESPN for his The Right Time podcast. Uh, Spencer Hall and I are going to be appearing on there. He's doing a series on boosters. Uh, we've retweeted that information, but if you just go and subscribe to The Right Time podcast, you'll be able to catch it. That's going to uh, be airing through, I want to say, October and November. I think I'm taping my segment in two weeks. Spencer's already done his, so check that out. Um, we love Bomani. Other things, Jacksonville Live show. Jacksonville Live shut down fullcast. Um, I believe, I'm going to check as I record this, that we've done another dumb URL redirect. So if you go to 25snakes.com, the number two, the number five, and snakes.com, you can go and purchase tickets for the shutdown fullcast live in Jacksonville. That's on November 1st at Smash, which is on... Uh, I don't need to read you the address, but I do know it's in a strip mall in Jacksonville. Go to 25snakes.com. It's 8 o'clock November 1st for Shutdown Fullcast. I know it's the usual roster of idiots plus, I want to say, either Richard or Bud uh, to be determined. I will not be at that show. I will be at some upcoming shows that have not been announced yet. 25snakes.com to buy tickets to Shutdown Fullcast Live. Um, I've been on ESPN a bit. You can check that out. Um, I was part of the documentary, The American Game. That's how you have to say it. The American Game. Uh, It's the College Football 150 series. There's several of them running concurrently throughout the season. The one that I'm on, I think Spence is on there too, is called The American Game. Uh, You can get that on ESPN On Demand, and it usually comes on Tuesdays. I was on there talking about the Cruton. I was shocked that they let me say as much as I did, which wasn't even really much. Um, But hey. Good on you, ESPN, for uh, for letting me say my piece. I think that's all we need to plug. If you're on Twitch, um, and I'm not going to explain what Twitch is, but if you're on Twitch, please check out the Banner Society's Twitch feed. Um, in addition to just dumb, goofy stuff that the crew is doing, Bud Elliott has been absolutely murdering it on his Sunday gambling show. So if you go on there, it's usually mid-afternoon, right when the early lines come out. And you've heard Bud, if you listen to this show... You've heard Bud talk a lot about early lines and how you can make good money if you're not betting a lot by playing early lines. Every Sunday he's on Twitch. Uh, just search for Banner Society on Twitch. It's a very fun show. Bud is um, always mindful of sort of your, you know, first first time gamblers and and putting it all together. And and the man loves market inefficiencies. He's a Floridian. He thrives on it. Um, I think that's it. I think that's everything we need to plug. Again, uh, I will be doing the Instagram for Olds Q&A around somewhere between like 7.30 and maybe 7.30 and 9 a.m. Eastern, sometime in that window on Saturdays. That's not part of the gimmick. That's just the reality of waking up with multiple children in your house and having to put out various fires. Um, That has kind of jumped off. It's fun. Um, So get on Instagram very, very early on Saturday morning. Ask me a question about college football or parenthood i will be on the at banner society instagram account i'll also put the information on my instagram account and uh this saturday really really good football we're about to talk about it 
I'm jumping on. I will be manning the Banner Society Twitter at some point. Um, and I will be around in the Banner Society open Slack for probably the afternoon or the evening slate of games. It's really good football. So let's talk about really good football with Richard and Bud. This is your tasting menu. Bud and Richard, together, we're going to go straight to the tasting menu. And uh, unfortunately, we are going to have to skip what we all believe will be a preview of the Sunbelt Championship between App and ULL uh, since this show is coming out on Thursday. Let's go to the Thursday slate, and I'm going to go ahead and roll the Friday slate in because, as uh, as we are wont to mention on this show, Thursday has been given over to the NFL by college football, and it's a travesty. On Thursday night, Syracuse goes to NC State at 7 p.m. on ESPN. Louisiana Monroe goes to Texas State at 8.15 on the U, and then uh, we'll jump to Friday. We have three games Colorado State at New Mexico on CBS Sports Network at 7 p.m. Central Time. Virginia goes to Miami at ESPN, uh, and then jumping over 9 o'clock on FS1. Uh, this is obviously going to be our pick, at least in terms of interest and intrigue. Is Colorado going to Oregon at 9 p.m. on FS1? Uh, Richard, anything to – would you disagree with me that's the better game there? I, I mean, it's the better game. Um, I just may be watching the Miami game for the car crash. Um, I look, Miami is in, so Miami may go over to, oh, uh, and two against the Virginia teams. Um, the quarterback thing is back in flux. Jaron Williams hurt, got benched during the Virginia tech game. Nikosi Perry's hurt, finished out the game. Tate Martell was repping at quarterback, but not wearing an, an orange non-contact quarterback Jersey. I, you know, they're in flux. The offensive line, the tackle situation's been bad all season. And now you're not exactly sure, again, what you're getting from the quarterback position. Our friends at at, uh, at Shutdown Fullcast did a game where they said, uh, I think the over-under was 2.5 Miami quarterback starters this year. Um, and if you took the over, it's a good bet. But um, Miami, question mark? I mean, I, I don't really have anything in, in terms of trying to build a narrative on this so much as um, – I kind of bought in a little bit against Florida and thought that this was a work in progress team that would be better in certain areas. But um, that Virginia Tech loss, I think, looked uh, looked pretty bad for them. And I'm still not I'm still sold on what I think Virginia Tech is, which is a very bad football team with offensive issues. But now I'm starting to think that Miami is just a a bigger mess than we initially thought. Look, the, the power ratings love Miami. Right. And they've played two games so far where the stats show they really should have won. Um UNC and and against VTech, but they just had some pretty bad turnover luck in those games. Because of the quarterback situation, I'm not going to be betting the Hurricanes here. I, I do think UVA is kind of the square side. But the one thing to look for here, Miami has actually increased its gap of craziness between standard down success rate or, or standard down S&P and passing down S&P. They are now 10th on standard downs and 93rd on passing down. So what does that mean? Yeah, I'm telling you. And, and if you How look at Bill's possible? Twitter, he said this might be an all-time record. They're on pace for it. So here's what this means. When Miami can't use the threat of run action, when they don't have an RPO threat, when, when, when the defense does not have to respect any threat of the run, their tackles are 100% screwed. They can't pass protect, and Williams holds the ball forever in a day. They, they have, like, maybe time for a day, but not forever in a day to do it. It's a bad combination. <laughs> Enos has not figured that out very well. So if UVA is able to stop Miami from creating explosive plays on downs in which there's a run threat, which they've been able to hit a lot of this year, UVA is excellent at preventing explosive plays, then I think Miami could be put in a lot of bad situations. 
so for that reason, I'm just not betting this game at all. But yeah, that's kind of my football e take on that. Uh, well, that split is enormous. But I mean, Virginia. One thing Virginia's defense is going to do really well with Bronco Mendenhall is he's going to find ways to get those two linebackers on those tackles in blitz situations. Like Bronco Mendenhall is going to create some very uncomfortable blitz situations for Miami. Um, oh, no doubt. Let me ask. Let me ask Bud first and then Richard second. It's sort of a two-pronged question about Virginia. Bud, we talk all the time about sign of sickness success. In other words, like the infamous Wake Forest Orange Bowl, right? I bring this up almost every week with you because we're still trying to figure out the ACC. Is Virginia one of those canaries in the coal mine? Or are we seeing something a little bit more legitimate and, and you know, reputable program building here? Is it is it the Wake Forest Orange Bowl situation? Or is this just a program that can be good and exist in a healthy ACC? Virginia as a number two in the league and a clear number two is canary in a coal mine for sure. Especially because yeah. UVA's offense is is not very good, right? Um, <laughs> which is the reason why Miami has a real shot to win this game because uh, it, it's not like UVA is probably going to score that many points on the Hurricanes. If UVA is your three, right, or four, I, I don't think that's that terrible in a given year necessarily as long as you have a dominant one uh, like you do with, with Clemson. But UVA as a two and particularly as a clear two I, I think is – is a sign of, of bad things, Richard, at least for this year. If they win, if they end the season as the number two, as the clear number two in the ACC, and they sweep, you know, Miami, they they beat Florida State, they they finally win the Commonwealth Cup. Are we going to be talking about Bronco Mendenhall for other jobs? I don't think so. I don't think so. I. I don't know. I, I think that Bronco Mendenhall is, and I like. I I don't want this to sound like I'm disparaging Bronco Mendenhall at all. Like Bronco Mendenhall is the kind of guy that can get a Virginia to overachieve, a BYU to overachieve. Um, I think he's a good football coach, but I don't know if you can throw Bronco Mendenhall in in an upper crust. And I look, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm talking about like a, if USC opens Bronco Mendenhall. Like that's, I think that's what you're saying as the next step up for him, and I don't know if that's it. Uh, all right, let's move on to Colorado and Oregon. Um, Bud, you have uh, you you have some feelings about the game management of one Mario Cristobal. Oh, they had like an eight to twenty two pass to run ratio at, 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 to start the game out against Cal. Like, look, I get it. Your receivers are either not very good or hurt or or both. But you have Justin Herbert, and you have a really good offensive line, and he does typically have a lot of time to throw the football when they do elect to throw. At what point are Arroyo and 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 uh, Cristobal going to unleash a passing offense that makes this team look look decent? Right, like they. I think I, I think he's so content to just sit on the game, bud. I think he's so content to just sit on it. I agree. I, I just do. Do you think there's another gear that they can shift into, and he's just not shifting into it, or do you think there's just kind of a fundamental issue there? I mean, I think it might be the former because I think Justin Herbert's good, right? I I think he is too. But like the thing is, they're just so stubborn. So check this out, right? Oregon's rushing SP plus is 102nd. Their passing is 29th, and yet they stubbornly do this Minnesota or name any <laughs> one of like 10 NFL teams type bullshit. Where it's like, hey, let's just run the ball forty-five times to little with little or no success, and then we'll ask Herbert to pass in the most difficult of situations when he could be thrown on first down and doing a much better job. It's kind of that like our offensive line coaches, really offensive style coaches. They're more like defensive coaches 
type brand he has going on there. And they're leaning on a defense, which is really good. In fact, it's the number one rated defense in a lot of the, the power ratings. But it's kind of like a, a fraud as far as being that high, in my opinion. They've played, let's see, Nevada when Nevada had its backup quarterback. They got Stanford right when Stanford lost both their NFL offensive tackles. They got Cal when when Cal lost Garbers and their starting left tackle. It, Oregon's had a really special run here of playing offenses when the offenses were, were kind of crippled. And, like, it's not uh, – it's a really good defense, but I'm not convinced it's like – oh, and Bo Nix in his first ever game. Um, Bo Picks more like it, I guess. <laughs> like, this is – This is this is not the game. I don't think this is the game that exposes Oregon. If anything, it's October 19th against, uh, against Washington when they may be forced to throw. You know who might be out for Colorado still is Chenault. Okay, yeah. So look, if Chenault doesn't go for Colorado, I, I that's might get ugly. Richard, um, on how I don't know how much Oregon have you actually watched? I honestly a decent amount <laughs> because, because I watch every friend of week, the podcast, right? Friend of the pod, friend of the pod, Dan Rubenstein. So I actually watch a, a good amount of right. Oregon football on a scale of one to ten, and and ten being like. Uh, the Bama defense that destroyed Notre Dame in the national championship and a one being like a flag football game between fine bomb callers where on the, I'm going to turn Oregon into big boy, uh, serious smashy, smashy sec has crystal ball actually taken this defense. I mean, I think he's like, I think he's got it to like maybe even eight. Like they are. I mean, he, he just wants to sit on the game. And I think they have the defense to do it. I, I really do. Um, they have the nose tackle inside that is an absolute, like, beefy boy space eater. I think we talked about him last week in Jordan Scott. I love the way the guy plays. Um, they have speed on the edges. I Like, yeah, they they, they want to sit on the game, and they can't. All right. Uh, so our pick here is definitely going to be Virginia, Miami, uh, Colorado, Oregon. I wouldn't say skip Thursday. I'm just saying it's not necessarily appointment viewing. Uh, can you guys give me exactly 10 Second, since you can just call me West Durham, we're turning into the ACC podcast. But give me ten seconds each on anything relevant for Syracuse and NC State, or you we can just skip it. All of the tackles for loss. Both these teams allow a lot of tackles for loss, and both of them create a lot of tackles for loss on defense. Will there be any offensive rhythm? I don't know. Recharge, uh, Bud. I think Bud makes a really good point and made a really good point about the coaches at NC State lost, um, and and what that has kind of created with the Wolfpack. Um, you know, I wonder if Dino Babers can can exploit a little bit like West Virginia did some of the, the horizontal inefficiencies that NC State has on defense. Gentlemen, let's go to Saturday morning. Buckle in. All right, all these games are at 11 a.m. Central, God's time zone, with the exception of the last one, which I will mention. So let's go Maryland at Purdue. That's uh, the Big Ten slash Fox BTN. Check your listings, whatever. Uh, Memphis goes to Temple at ESPN2. Miami of Ohio goes to Western Michigan on ESPNU. Michigan is at Illinois on ABC. Gross. Mississippi State is at Tennessee uh, on the SEC Network. That's that's an early kickoff. I, that's, I can't figure out who that sucks for. We'll get to that in a second. Um, Red River. Uh, I'm going to just pause the entire tasting menu for a second. Why can't I just say Red River? Why Why are people saying that's wrong? Is it not? Wait, just- we're not allowed to say Red River anymore? I'm not supposed I, to say Red River Shootout, Godfrey. I just say, well, Red, I River. Still Gun say Red River Shootout. And it's the Vox podcast. I so, I, I just you know. say Red River. Is that okay? I I had I don't know, I, man. I, I had friendly OU and Texas fans say, well, I guess I'm acting like at 38 Godfrey because I'm just saying Red River. I, I don't I'm not gonna say showdown. No. 
It's the Red River Shootout. It's the cocktail party. Oklahoma Thank State. You. This is America. <laughs> Oklahoma's playing Texas. It's on Fox. There. I assume this is the big nude game. Rutgers goes to Indiana at big, on the Big Ten Network. South Carolina goes to Georgia uh, ESPN. CBS Sports Network has Toledo and Bowling Green. Georgia Tech goes to Duke. Uh, that's your 11:30 game on the ACC regional mess. Um, okay. Uh, so aforementioned Red River discussion point. Uh, Mississippi State and Tennessee. I will get to in a second. I have um, a genuine interest here. Uh, absolutely no anxiety bowl status. However, uh, narrative building in the Southeastern Conference in so many different ways. Um, this is a game. I do a lot of, uh, I go in studio in Nashville and do a lot of radio on Thursday, Friday. And this is a game that Tennessee has suddenly circled as winnable. So we'll get to that in just a second. Um, gentlemen, take me through uh, Red River for a second. And what am I going to see? Because Oklahoma is real fun, real good, and extremely Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma. But we don't really have a, a like a, a good metric on them based on that schedule. I really, really want to see how Oklahoma runs the ball. Um, look, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is by making all y'all think that Oklahoma is some air raid spread outfit. Like, I get it. <laughs> they chuck the ball all over the yard. I understand. But Oklahoma, the base of Oklahoma is guard tackle counter like the Washington NFL franchise did in the 1980s. Okay. Like, that's the base. Um, look, the way Texas plays defense, we've talked about that tight front defense. That is is an innovation that has come because of zone runs. You're trying to control the B-gap, the gap between the guard and the tackle, with that defense. Oklahoma is probably at its best running counter and power. QB power read with Jalen Hurts, guard tackle counter either with a running back or a quarterback. Those are man-blocking schemes. They're throwing it back. So I am looking for how... Oklahoma is able to have success with power and counter against a defense that is really, really set up to bounce zone runs outside. That's the fun in the matchup for me. Bud. I totally agree with Richard. I, I think this is a really interesting one. I, I played Oklahoma at 10 when it came out. It's now up to like 11, 11 and a half. I love that as much, obviously. The one thing I want to see in this game, are both teams just going to mash the QB run button? They, <laughs> Texas has been trying to hold back on Ellinger a little bit, right? And we know that most of Hurts runs this year, like he, they've shown some of their QB run stuff, but he's a different runner than Mayfield or Kyler were in terms of the physicality, the ability to run. So he really can runs. run between the tackles. Right, and he hasn't done it that much yet. They, I, I think they've been trying to save. A lot of his runs this year have been scrambles, you know, which is, which is smart. Why would you waste him against some really poor defenses that you've played so far? But in this one... It wouldn't surprise it, you know, to see Jalen get two, maybe two and a half designed carries per quarter, right? Like he he may end up with, with with ten rushes in this game that are not scrambles. So I'm interested in seeing that. Watching Oklahoma, I've kind of watched more of them than I thought I would based on a poor schedule so far. Jalen has looked really good almost always. The one thing I think it may have been so easy for him that he has developed maybe just once a game he throws a ball up into coverage and just trust that his guy's going to come down with it. And I'm like, man, that, that was he a threw, first down pick. He you threw know? a ball into like literally triple coverage against Texas Tech. I was like, holy right. shit. Yeah, I'm <laughs> like, okay, don't do not do that, right? Like especially not on first down, man. Um, but I, I think with Texas DBs out, he may end up getting a lot of favorable one-on-one or even one-on-zero matchups if, if Texas blows some coverage. Um, do you think, do you think 75 leave. is too high of a total, bud? No. Uh, I actually made it – uh, where was my 
here, just vamp for like 10 seconds as I scroll over to my right tab here. I, I Look, because I looked at the number 75, I was like, I, I don't know. I know Oklahoma, you know, you just pencil them in for 50 points every game. But I, I don't know, 75 seems... I made it 75. <laughs> and it came out at 70, 72 and a half, and that wasn't enough. Like, I, if it, when I do my bets on Sundays, I want to, I want to fire if I think there's a big discrepancy, you know. Um, and that wasn't big enough for me, two and a half points on a total that high. But like, both these teams are going to play at a decent tempo, I think. Although I wonder if Texas slows it down a little bit just to try and not make this thing a total shootout. With it. and do we know exactly who's going to play for Texas in the secondary? That's kind of my major question about this game. Like, who are they actually getting back? I'm sure Herman's going to be kind of coy with this. Uh, I would, but like that's probably going to help decide this game. Uh, okay, so all of that I hear, and I crunch it up in my brain, and it uh, it comes out as most Big 12 conference game possible. <laughs> Is that fair? Uh, quick question before we move on. If Texas loses this game, they will, they will have lost to Oklahoma. They will have lost to LSU. Do they lose again this season, and is this considered a successful year? Remainder. I think that they will lose again this season. Okay. Who? Um, well, either I at Iowa State or at Baylor in back-to-back I, weekends. I literally was like, they could lose the next two games. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, are you saying that, Richard, because you, you expect a cascade effect with the defense, or is it just is it just a matter of Texas not being that good? No, I just I think Baylor or Iowa State, um, those two games come near the end of the season. Even Texas Tech, I think that like their November is a lot chippier than I, I think we may have thought it was going to be in August. Like the end of that schedule gets really feisty. Okay, all right, gentlemen. Um, Bud has a lovely note as he is wont to do. He loves he loves to put the notes in. Want to do is the phrase of the day. Uh, I uh, just I, I I just before that when yeah, when yeah. I say that I'm talking about like Iowa State Baylor or Texas Tech like we may be talking about either one of those three games at the end of of Texas schedule being the Big Twelve championship playing game. Wow! Like th- th- yeah. I mean those are the stakes. Those are the stakes. Baylor and Iowa State talk about an unhealthy situation or a sign of sickness. Um, Bud, your little love note. Uh, <laughs> Illinois was awful against Minnesota, and two defensive scores hid how bad it was. Both of you, Richard But first. ain't a Justin for Illinois. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't think you need to. Uh, <laughs> both of you, Richard first, tell me how many points will Michigan score on offense this Damn. weekend at Illinois? Well, you said offense, so I'm going to go 10. Really? I'm going to go 10. So this isn't a get-right game? Uh, how, no, 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 how? Oh, you said Ill, you said Michigan. Michigan is at Illinois. How many Sorry, points? I thought, no, 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 I thought you asked. I thought you asked me how many points Illinois would score. How, how uh, many points will Michigan score on offense in Champaign? Seventeen. If not now, Richard, then when do we find adjustment? I mean, at a certain point, we pretty much have to. We have to assume that this offense is going to either be what it is, or make some sort of stride or improvement. Like this is. I don't. I don't think. The Strider improvement, I don't know if that's coming. Like, this may be what it is. Like, I, I'm i sorry. When do we, okay, right so here's my question then. When do we know that this is this is the Michigan system? This is this is, this is is what we're going to have to deal with, and they're going to have to gut it out on defense and, and just be aggressive, creating turnovers, yada, yada, pablum, you know, harbaugh, harbaugh. Like, do, how, it's, 
second week of October, guys. Like at a certain point, we just have to assume that this is it's not going to get better. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like this is what Michigan is. If they get right, they, if you if you couldn't get right against Rutgers, and you couldn't write the ship, and what they put on tape and 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 everything against Iowa was what it was. You kind of have to face facts the situation. They've only this is week seven. They've only got. Six weeks left. And look, for Michigan, it isn't going to get terribly better given that they play Penn State in two weeks and then Notre Dame in three weeks. Like, I, it, it there just may be no more get right to get right. Um, but did you watch any of the, the Michigan-Iowa game last week? Uh, I did watch a little bit of it. I had most of it on the radio, actually. Okay. Um, My question is... Could I be so naive, and I'm playing an extreme devil's advocate here and taking up from my beloved Wolverines, um, isn't that just what happens when you play Iowa? To some extent, yes. One offensive it, touchdown? Yeah, it doesn't have to be that bad. And the thing is, like, everybody focuses on the passing game, and, and hey, like, th- this has not been what they brought Josh Gaddis in to, to make it, you know, and, like, I think he's a really good, promising coach. Clearly, he doesn't have them right yet. I don't think that's all on him. I think that's probably the whole offensive staff there. Uh, but, man, they for all the focus on the passing game, Michigan's run game is horrible. I mean, you're talking about if you looked at kind of their, their passing SP plus and their rushing SP plus, passing their 50th. Running the football, they're 115th. <laughs> and that's opponent adjusted, man. So, like, not only has their passing game not opened up and become – more spready and more and more effective and more wide open, at least not effectively wide open. But their run game has totally gone in the tank. They can't run the football at all. But uh, Bud, I want you to play the role of Will Muschamp. Uh, you have just lost to Georgia this weekend by twenty-four. Um, you are coming back home to Columbia. You are in the thick of recruiting, which is supposed to be one of your strong points. And you are now faced with yet another year of being, at best, slightly above mediocre in the Southeastern Conference, while the other teams in your division are, you know, the the, the brass of your deci- of your division is clearly better, superior in every way in Florida and Georgia. Simultaneously, your in-state rival, contending possibly on their way to another national championship, their third. Um, sell me as Will Muschamp on. Like, how do you go back to boosters? How do you go back out there and recruit this? I, I think you have to tell them, hey, guys, we are the NC State of the SEC, right? We do not oh. really control our own destiny, okay? <laughs> I can do the best damn job I want to here. And you know what? If Spurrier had had, had my, my, like, my current slate of where Florida is and where Georgia is, right, he wouldn't have done none of this stuff either. We, on, a, on average, as a program, make bowls like one every, I don't know, what, 12 years in our history. We, we have passionate fans, but that's really about it. You know, like our, our history doesn't match up to Clemson. Our, our, our resources don't really. It, it's, not a, it's not a thing that you should be expected. If we make a bowl game, which we weren't expected to make a bowl game before the season anyway, by the way, we're probably not going to make a bowl game this year. It, this schedule is prohibitive of making a bowl game. I'm trying my best here. Like, how much better do you think somebody's going to do? Maybe a half win a season? This, this program just – there's a lot better programs, and we got to play those better programs every year. Richard, uh, could Temple Memphis secretly be maybe not the best AAC game of the year, but like 1A? How dare you, sir, 
cheat on SMU? Look, well, man. Okay. S- here's SMU's my rubric. No, 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 no. Here's, here's my rubric. SMU Tulsa was an inadvertent awesome game, right? That's not a power matchup. Not even that. What? Well, yeah, yeah. Not even that. I'm just saying. Look, SMU is the team in the driver's seat right now. SMU's got the got the bangers coming up. SMU Why? plays SMU plays Memphis on the second on November second. Um, they play Temple. I actually think on the nineteenth. They play Memphis on the November second, and then November thirtieth, SMU Tulane might also be for the division. So we got hey, we got we got bigger fish to fry. First off, Temple's four and one. Okay. Second, everybody sleeping on Temple. Third, C, uh, we can just make it up again. We're the media. We don't have any accountability. <laughs> um, I would like to point out Temple beat Maryland, Georgia Tech, which, you know, whatever. They've beaten East Carolina. They lost to Buffalo. Buffalo's not bad. This is secretly, there's no secret. This is just the one good team in the AAC we're not talking about. Yeah, because they're Temple. They're Temple tough. They'd win not sexy. Um, I have my doubts about how good that Maryland win is. If that Maryland team is your signature win, I have doubts. I mean, I understand it's a win over an ACC team, and that's important for uh, you know a program like Temple. But we'll see. Wow. Okay. All right. That's fine. Um, I mean, I got all... Richard here, by the way. Wow. All right. Um, see, the I... ACC expert, he agrees. Yeah, we have we've brought him in on the cult. I'm very proud of our newest member. All right, gentlemen. Um, before we make our picks on viewing, Bud, anything that stands out from a gambling perspective in the morning slot? Uh, yeah, I took I took Maryland to uh, to beat Purdue. Grabbed it at I think two when it opened. Look, Mike Loxley understands when you get a fastball down the middle like like Purdue is banged up as it is, you got to hit that <laughs> shit out of the park. He's done it a couple times already with, with big time blowout wins, and he also gets blown out against the teams that are better. Uh, but I, I think this is a game that that Maryland. Can uh, can can play in and do well. Like I already said, I took the uh, Oklahoma there minus the ten. Uh, what else did I take here in the early goings? Um, I don't have these. I don't have these time stamped. Memphis Temple. I actually took the under fifty two and a half. We discussed in the last uh, tasting menu that I thought uh, Memphis's defense was much improved as far as coaching this year, and I I, I do think that is uh, that's the case. Rutgers Indiana. Shockingly, I didn't take I didn't take anything in that game. It seems to be. An interesting one. Godfrey, do you think Mississippi State is going to play its defensive guys against Tennessee? That was one of the games that we thought they probably would, right? What a wonderful transition, bud. So my one thing to look at from a narrative perspective here is that Mississippi State and Tennessee both feel almost equally with the same amount of naive confidence that they should win this game on Saturday. Things are not Why as- on earth would anybody connected to the University of Tennessee think they should win this game? Um how do I put this? It's my job to put this into words. Um, there is still, believe it or not, a very sort of, uh, it's not technically Stockholm syndrome, but you have to go back and find, you have to find a North, a North star in these situations, right? Because people have looked at the buyout scenario of firing Pruitt and still paying out Butch Jones if he doesn't get a head coaching job. And it's, it's, it's untenable. Also, the, the the better question in that situation is, well, who are you going to hire at, in to go work under Phil Fulmer with the track record that they've had recently with a roster that would then go through another round of upheaval? Okay, so people are actually coming back around post Georgia State and post BYU to, all right, let's reinvest in the long run on Jeremy Pruitt. I'm right or wrong, I'm just giving you sort of the zeitgeist. Not if here. they get him. Not if they, I, I got, I got it. But not if they get embarrassed by Mississippi State, which I don't know is going to happen. But which not if they get embarrassed break, by which Mississippi brings us State. To Saturday, simultaneously in Starkville, we have the same 
we have a different version of the same story in that people are still extremely upset that Mississippi State had a world-beater defense and an arguably good defense last year that could have taken them to the SEC championship for the first time since, what, 1998? And they didn't have the offense from an offensive coach that they hired immediately in the wake of Dan Mullen leaving. The, the, the general consensus is if Dan Mullen stays in Starkville one more year, they go to the SEC championship at least. And to be honest, I don't disagree. Joe Moorhead... They, they do what? Yeah. What? Joe, no. Joe, I, I, again, <laughs> Mullen again. was not going to have them make the jump. Hi, hi. Just reporting things, okay? Just, just, just feeding the information back. These are not takes. You These mean are the consensus opinions. among Mississippi State people, right? Not the consensus yes. among everybody else. Mississippi in State the West. fans, yes. Mississippi State fans believe the nature in which that they lost those games last year. If you look at like the Kentucky game last year, for instance, okay. If you look at the way they lost to Alabama, if you look at, they feel like with that defense that Mullen would have been inventive enough with Nick Fitzgerald to have put them in contention to win the West. And that's sort of what they've been chasing all this time. And they feel really frustrated because they hung on with Mullen for so long. And then right at the peak, he he left for, I mean, an inarguably better job. It's a logical situation, but the timing is so brutal. All this kind of open comes- quote, open quote. Stephen Godfrey says Mississippi State should have been in the SEC championship game last year. That's Close fine. Quote. That's they, how that, their game we'll against Bama was where? In Tuscaloosa? I believe so. Yeah, no shot. The, the, the year that, that Mullen had a chance to actually get there was the year in which Jalen Hurts really couldn't throw, and it was in Starkville. Remember that yeah. game? And Grantham had his number all game, and yeah. yet Mullen really kind of just played it way too conservatively. He, he punted a couple times in Alabama territory and didn't play to win the game. He just kind of played to, to postpone the loss until, until the end, and that was their year. <laughs> Last year they had no shot, I, I don't believe, even with Mullen standing there coaching the offense. Okay, again, That's crazy. Hi. Yep. All right. All right, nerds. I'm just telling you what Zeitgeist is. Um, so this is why this is my watch game. I'm not telling you this is going to be the pick on the tasting menu. I'm just saying this is my watch game because inevitably you have the force of two fan bases and obviously both can't come out of here with a win. The thing to watch, bud, to your original question is we, you and I kind of hacked this Mississippi State suspension thing with FERPA. And basically Mississippi State sits its suspended players from the academic scandal when one of two things happens. When they are playing a team that they think they don't need their best players to beat, or they are playing a team that they don't think they have any shot of beating, period. The exception there will probably be Ole Miss because they just want to have everybody in for the rivalry game, and the value of that game in that state is so disproportionate to the rest of the schedule. So, this is interesting to me in the first five minutes, because if they come out and play, it means Mississippi State thinks that Tennessee is quality enough for them to burn one of those games and play them. All right, because when you start looking at the remainder of their schedule, they're not going to play them against LSU. They're not going to play them against Alabama. They didn't play them against Auburn. There's an obvious divide here of we think we're talented enough or we've got no shot. So it's a very weird way to sort of watch how a coach values the other team. We've never really had this situation before. On the other side, it's still a trash fire. I mean, they switched quarterbacks, but I don't necessarily think that. I mean. I'm going to throw this out. Nobody's really paying attention to this outside of like where I live. This is Bob Shoup coming back to Tennessee where he was created. He was, he was sort of turned into a pariah. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Okay. This is going to be big, dumb, redneck, weird SEC football with more going on off the field than on the field. And that is where I shine gentlemen. So hell yeah, brother. Um, (laughs) Uh, do we have a consensus pick for uh, for the anchor game here? I think I think you I think you watch Oklahoma Texas. 
Um, I think you check in on South Carolina, Georgia, just to check on the bleeding. Memphis and Temple, I do believe, will be fun. And then, like I said, it's more narrative-driven at Mississippi State and Tennessee and less about on the field. Anybody want to throw anything else out before we move on? I mean, Georgia Tech, uh, Duke might be, like, stupid at the end in the way Pitt Duke was stupid at the end. but um. That's a lot of faith in Georgia Tech, man. Uh, Tech did just lose its starting center and starting receiver, too. Okay, so never mind. <laughs> this is tough uh, for them. They also does Georgia Tech care if it wins a game, mm. like to, or well, m- multiple games? Because I, I, I'm not sure it does. This is very like ultimate year zero. This might be the definitive year zero for a Power Five program, which would which would gel with you know the whole triple option transition out thing. So, all right, uh, we're gonna pause for one second, and then we're gonna move to the afternoon. All right, gentlemen. The action starts in the afternoon, as it always does, at a very strange time on Stadium at 1.30 Central. Old Dominion goes to Marshall. Over on ESPN3 at 2 o'clock, you have New Mexico State going to CMU, Central Michigan. Uh, Your big SEC on CBS game at 2.30 Central. That's Alabama at A&M. Then you've got BYU at South Florida on CBS Sports Network. Uh Uh-oh, Charlie. Uh, Cincinnati goes to Houston on ESPN2. Florida State goes to Clemson. On ABC, the Big Ten Network has Michigan State going to Scani. Uh, Pac-12 Network has Wazoo. Ah, damn it. Wazoo's going to Arizona State on Pac-12 Network. I, w- I wanted to kind of watch that game. Guess I won't now. Kent State is, uh, is at Akron on ESPN3. ESPN Plus has Northern Illinois and Ohio at 245. Why? UConn goes to Tulane. Also, why? ESPNU. 3 o'clock on ESPN. Iowa State goes to West Virginia. Texas Tech is at Baylor. On FS1, the ACC Network has Rhode Island going to Virginia Tech. We'll try and win that one, Hokies. Um, and then on the one of those West Coast things that I never know about, people yell at me. They're like, oh, it, it, you, I've got it on this cable network. San Jose State's at Nevada. If you want to find that, just go for it. UNLV's at Vanderbilt on the SEC Network. Uh, Middle Tennessee State goes to FAU on Plus. And then Georgia State goes to Coastal Carolina at 4 p.m. on Plus. I'll stop there. We'll pick it back up for 5 o'clock uh, before we get to the evening. Richard, where would you like to start? Um, I will start BYU-USF. Uh, BYU starting the first black quarterback in school history. Wow. In school history on Saturday. BYU's been playing football since 1922. Um, that also means we want we must wish the Mormon Manziel a speedy recovery from a hand injury, which uh, will have him out, I think, up to like six, maybe eight weeks. Um, we've talked about Texas Tech and Baylor on this podcast a lot. We just did it as sneaky third place, maybe second place teams in the Big 12. Pay attention to that. Um, it's going to be fun. Um, I will spin this quickly back to you. Godfrey, is UNLV Vanderbilt an anxiety ball? Damn, Richard. I think it might be. Bud has a note on this it game might as be. well. Yeah, I, I think it might be. Um, I think it's a little bit more fait accompli with, with Tony Sanchez and UNLV based on what we've heard throughout the offseason, both Richard and myself. I do want to talk about Vanderbilt. Bud, you have a question essentially is where does Vanderbilt place in terms of the bottom of the SEC and then also where do they place as the worst team in the SEC since, I don't know, and it's, it's a very good question. I'm not really sure. My gut is to say one of the Mississippi's around that Croom nut era or like Petrino leaving Arkansas, John L Smith, Arkansas, or you want to go back to like the, 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 the O for South Carolina teams with Lou Holtz or that, that wasn't, that Lou could Holtz. be, 
I mean, they're bit like 2005 Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's some Kentuckys. There's some other Vanderbilts. I mean, 2002 Vanderbilt? Like, um, there's a bunch of Vandys in there. Robbie Caldwell, Vanderbilt. They won a conference game. They actually beat Ole Miss. Um, so, here's the deal. Vanderbilt made Ole Miss's um, offensive lineless running game look world-beating last week. So, that's how shitty Vanderbilt is right now. Um, here's what I'm going to throw out. And I'm getting into an area in which I have absolutely no expertise or reference or barely a waypoint, and that's basketball. Malcolm Turner. Yeah, there it is. Malcolm Turner, the new athletic director at Vanderbilt, came from the NBA, I believe it was either the G or the D League. Um, he immediately went in, and do you guys know what he did? He fired the shit out did of his basketball. He fired the coach. <laughs> he, fired Bryce, he fired Bryce Drew immediately. Oh, okay. um, he, And he, uh, he got Stallings. Yeah, or uh, he, not Stallings. Stackhouse. He got Jerry Stackhouse. Yes, gotcha. yes. So Bryce Drew came in with a ton of steam, and this is super local, and I know nobody cares, but there's a feeling at schools like Vanderbilt, and it used to be this way at Baylor, and it used to be this way at Northwestern. Da 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 da. Right? You're the smart school. You're capped here. This is only what you can do. Bud has made a lot of good points this season about, hey, like look at Wake Forest overachieving by being patient. Right? It's a really good example of what you can do in a situation like that. Normally, I think Derek Mason has built up so much goodwill, guys. He's three and zero in his last three games against Tennessee. Like, and we're talking. Is about- that enough, though? Is that enough? I don't know. I don't know. I will say this: like right now, I'm looking around at openings in the SEC. Depending on the timeline for what's going on in Oxford with the Chancellor and the new AD, I don't know if they fire Matt Luke this year. I don't. So this might be the opening, and if it is the opening, people are going to laugh at first, and then I think. I'll say it. Richard will say it. Anybody who's involved in coaching search stuff will say it. This job's going to attract way more damn attention than you realize. Okay. I also think it's going to have a Matt Rule style left field hire. And this is a guy in Derek Mason who was the runner up for the Colorado job last year and a guy we thought would be a contender if Arizona fell apart, but Arizona hasn't lost since week zero, which is super weird. We can get to that in a second. So, guys, do you fire him? No, I don't think so. He's done a pretty good job. This was an obvious down year coming, I think, with the amount of transfers that he had to take, you know, and and the transfers have not meshed in. They've had some injury issues. Like, unless this team drops to, like, bottom 115 or something, you know, then then maybe that's an issue. But, like, right now I've got him in the 80s. We'll see. I, I, I would not fire him. Um you get Richard's DM? Yeah. Um, let's cool. let's move back to um, Clemson, Florida State for a second, bud. What am I All looking right. for? What what am I looking for here in in any stretch of positivity for Florida State, or is that just not an issue? There, th- things seem to be more positive now. They 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 handled Louisville and NC State, two teams that I think they probably lose to last year. Um, the defense since Levitt was was brought on is. They're still not doing a good job on standard downs at all, but they are preventing explosive plays at a higher rate, uh, which could prove useful against Clemson. Uh, Clemson so far this year has been uh, very reliant on the big plays in the passing game where they really struggled. And I talked about this on on twitch.tv slash banner society last Wednesday in in breaking down the potential issues with a lot of the contenders. Clemson's slot receivers and tight ends this year have been totally not productive. Uh, they, They lost Hunter Renfro. They lost their tight end. Um, they don't really have a tight end they love on this roster right now. And with Amari Rodgers, 
he's coming off that ACL injury, still trying to get back and get right. Uh, and so teams have played a lot, a lot of too high coverage against them uh, and sat back and tried to take away throws to the outside receivers. T. Higgins has still been effective, but Justin Ross uh, less so. And Clemson has been unable to make teams pay uh, with the throws to the slots and the tight ends, which is what you think would probably be open as well as some of the run game stuff against those those you know two high coverages. So uh, Florida State's linebackers are atrocious in coverage. So this would be a great time for Clemson to get right uh, by throwing the football to the slots and the tight ends. Richard, um, Scotty had a weird fart against Northwestern. Um, is that going to happen yeah, to Michigan State? No, that's Northwestern. Like, I think Northwestern is Northwestern is literally built to do exactly that to opponents. Um, okay. I, I do not think this is the Michigan State team that can hold up. I think if I would have, you know, if we would have seen Michigan State put up a legitimate fight against that Ohio State team, um, it'd be a different story. Um, Michigan State hung, obviously, with Ohio State for about a half, and then that started getting out of, um, out of reach. I, I mean... My chips are my chips are in on Wisconsin. Like, you know, this team is is good, and I don't think Michigan State is up to the task. This, we'll get to the tasting menu in a second in terms of like where to go. This is a really hard afternoon to pick, but I mean, I'm I'm damn sure tempted to put a, a game involving Michigan State at the top of this afternoon, only because I, I I am so wanting to to find something of interest in the Big Ten that is not Ohio State is superior and Penn State is is sort of their decent replicant. Like I want something else. I mean, to you talk got about. it. What? Like Wisconsin? Wisconsin? No, that, that's is what I'm saying. Good. I want that. I want. I, but I, but I I don't feel like we have a referendum yet. Um. All right, let's get AM and uh, Bama out of the way. I'm not being a dick. It's just uh, we all know how this thing's going to happen. Um, but <laughs> you're, you're Jimbo Fisher adjacent. Um, is We haven't talked about Jimbo Fisher too much this year. I remember we got knocked last year for, for just accidentally ignoring AM because we were doing a lot of year one or possibly year, year .5 kind of context around AM last year. But where... Is this what you expected in terms of progress in general going into this game? Yeah, about. I I, I didn't think that the, this was the roster that, that he'd be primed to take the leap with. I think they'll be considerably improved uh, next year, uh, assuming the quarterback play gets a little bit better. They're, they've had some offensive line issues. We know Jimbo's teams and his offense ask a whole lot of the offensive line. You know, They had some pretty talented offensive lines at Florida State that at times didn't look as good, but NFL teams love the guys they have, so – I think there was always some dissension there as far as what, you know, what Jimbo wanted to run and maybe what they could actually block, you know, and, yeah. and having a million different protections and whatnot. With this game, I actually went ahead and bet A and M um, plus the eighteen. It's down to sixteen and a half now, so another another positive move in our direction on the Twitch.tv slash Banner Society gambling show on Sunday <laughs> afternoon at two o'clock Eastern. Get um, that plug! But, get it! Get it! Get it! But the thing is, this is a game where Jimbo knows he's outgunned. He's going to try to play slow as hell. If this game has nine possessions each, he's going to do backflips, right? Now, the thing is, nobody. we know Bama has issues in their front seven. They don't have those big-time difference makers in the front seven this year compared to previous years, and they have two freshmen playing linebacker. I think Jimbo's going to be able to, to find some ways to screw with those freshmen and keep this game close maybe for a half. Close and slow, close and slow. N- n- not win but just avoid the blowout, right? Kind of like he did against Clemson. He wasn't playing that game to beat Clemson, I don't think. He was just playing that game to not get get embarrassed. 
Richard, uh, same Northwestern Wisconsin question, sort of, in that we got real out of alignment understanding A&M in both of these Clemson games, I feel like. Um, we, we got really hyped up on them both times just because of where those two programs were respectively. They were early season games. And then I see the Arkansas game, right? Mike Elko is a name that's already starting to surface for head coaching searches. I think he's done a remarkable job. His defense is not as good as it was last year. Um, where am I, where are we over-investing on A&M on defense? Is it what they held Clemson to or what they allowed Arkansas to do? No, I mean, I, I like Elko. I like Elko fine. Um, I think Arkansas, I don't know, Arkansas is just such a weird case. I'm almost in a, I almost, almost say, like, throw that result out, um, but then again, obviously it is Arkansas, and so is that. Is that because really it's a faux rival? It. But is that a is it a faux rivalry game in the turf and the in the neutral site, or was that just well? The that way- game's been dumb. That game's been dumb for the last ten years. They've been playing in that stadium. Like it, it's just weird. That's why I'm almost on a throw it out type basis. You know what it is? It's El Asico for wealthy people who can get DUIs and helicopters. <laughs> That's what that game has become. <laughs> All right. All right. I, yeah. All right. That's enough logic to throw out Arkansas. So to that end, um, they make this respectable. They lose by what? I mean, bud, what you got them at 18, you said? Yeah. I, I if they can keep this to 14 or 13, I'd, I'd, I'd love it. Maybe a late score, you know, down 21. They end up losing by 14. That'd be nice. Yeah. Um, Richard, I have to hunt down and murder Alex Kirshner at Banner Society because he said Houston wasn't going to be good enough for Cincinnati Houston to be a good game. Um, how I was you? I was literally going to ask if we think Houston can do what UCF couldn't. To I bet Houston. I, I would bet Houston, as Bud said. But Seven I and think, a half. Yeah, I don't think they're going to beat Cincinnati. I just want an entertaining football game here. And we've got differentiating styles, so that means good clash, right? I think Houston uh, wins. Ooh. Whoa, I, but I, all right, that. All right, take us there, Captain I, I think, G5. I think their quarterback's a better fit for this system than De'Aaron King was. Okay. Right? Like, Holgo's not a big QB run guy. And even though you don't have to be with Derek, I actually think he's a better thrower than people give him credit for. You do have to kind of bluff the run a little bit at times. And I don't think Hogo's offense does that as much. I, I like the new kid they have better. And let's face it, Cincinnati was fairly fortunate to win that game. UCF had, what, five trips in the red zone and one touchdown? That's not replicable, right? There's a good amount of, of like, red zone trips are high variance by nature, especially in a single game setting. If you play that game again, I'm going to take UCF to win it. This is tough to go back to back for Cincinnati. Houston's off a bye. I think the Cougars get them. Um, does anybody want to touch Wazoo switching out uh, the DCs uh, midseason and then going to Arizona State? Dog, you could tell me anything will happen in this game. I'll buy it. Okay. It literally anything in that 72 game. passes for 250 for Washington State. You got and it. And then Herm Edwards tries to win a game when only running 32 total plays. You got it. <laughs> and Y'all got it, it might win. And might win doing yeah. it. All right, bud. Before we pick the afternoon, hey, uh, any anything can I give some? Uh, yeah, can I give some quick notes on these G five games that people say we don't talk about? Oh, <laughs> I was going to let you gamble, but go ahead. All right. Uh, so Marshall's kind of put in a couple stinkers in a row, but they were a little bit better last week in the box score. They had like four hundred eighty five yards, and only I think their points were in the teens. So this is a good get right game against ODU Central Michigan. David Moore uh, banned substance by the NCAA, making him the second Jim McElwain quarterback Jesus. to get popped for uh, for something there, uh, joining Will Greer. But that's a starter Quentin Dormady looks like he's back. And I will say, I will say that Central Michigan had played 
not awful in the last few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I the other thing is, uh, unfortunately for the new quarterback for BYU, their star running back is also out. I, I think I think Charlie and those guys might get him, uh, it, or might might get BYU in that game. Uh, Akron, I don't know if their quarterback's still going to be out. Kent State is actually laying double digits on the road in a conference game for the first time in forever. Sure. So good luck to the flashes there. Uh, Northern Illinois, Ohio is kind of interesting because both teams have been kind of up and down to me. Tulane is laying 33 against UConn. So, oh uh, uh, The one thing there, I, I don't know. I don't know if Tulane covers that just because of the amount of the, the amount of times they're going to run the ball. Like um, that game, now they may run over around and through them, but that game may just go quickly, too quickly for them to get five touchdowns out. So I bet US, I bet UConn last weekend, and dude, a walk-on for USF had like 185 yards on on UConn <laughs> at receiver because because their their top kid was suspended. Uh, UConn's defense is real real bad. It's not quite as bad as like the worst defense ever that they had last year. Um, oh, and I'll add this: uh, Malik Henry starting for Nevada this weekend. What? Yeah, yeah. I, I bet San Jose State plus seven and a half at open. It's down to uh, two. So pretty good line value there on on my part, um, but Henry has some ability, right? There's a reason Jimbo handpicked this guy coming off the national title to be the quarterback he went after. Now he also has some off-field inabilities, uh, right? But yeah, <laughs> Richard, um, are you doing that on purpose? I, I'm literally, I'm literally having to stop you guys as I try and hold back my laughter. Somewhere Connolly has to be smiling. Um, I'm going to leave this in the show because I'm about to going to mention it specifically. All of you that complained initially about a minor absence in G5 coverage, Bud Elliott has now like smeared the blood on his face and sworn <laughs> to avenge this cause and creates notes for every... He does more G5 research than Bill and I ever did. Um, and I love it. I, we're keeping it. It's... Uh, it's God, it's beyond ironic. Trust me. Uh, gentlemen, Oh, and what? FAU's passing game is hitting its stride. So He's watch out, Middle Tennessee. Um... <laughs> All right, what what are we picking here? Uh, Richard first, tell me, t- set this very difficult table for me. I'm gonna go tech. I'm gonna go tech Baylor, and it's honestly not that hard of a decision for me. Um, I'm gonna watch Tech Baylor. I want to see what what Tech if Tech can follow up the performance that they had against Oklahoma State, if they can build on that. Um, if they don't go out to a 20 point lead, I'm not sure they win that game. They needed all 20 of those points. Um, to kind of fend off Oklahoma State in that second half when Oklahoma State started coming. Um, can Texas Tech use that as a building block? Take that into Baylor, beat Baylor? Who's it? Who knows? We will see. Uh, Bud, what are you gonna what are you gonna key on? Because I'm just gonna go ahead and deem this a total potluck, and this may be the most remote necessary block of college football viewing that we've had this year, honestly. I'm gonna go Iowa State at West Virginia. I I, I think Iowa State is better than their record. Um, and if they are I think they'll prove it by, by by smacking West Virginia pretty good. I also okay. bet them in that one. So this is a, this is a strange one, obviously, because I picked Michigan State at Wisconsin. We all have our reasons. Again, everything that we're saying is is viewable and interesting and engaging in very very different ways. There's also about nine other games on this afternoon slot. So flip around. Uh, also, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention I, I interviewed Kent State's head coach Sean Lewis. If you really are going to turn around miserable ass programs beating your rival team that you've struggled against who's also miserable and like it's fun to watch people try and narrow margins in the mac because the talent differential is so wonky year to year 
So watch out for that game. It's going to be a huge rivalry game. It's not really of interest because of the quality of the play. I get that. But if you're going to like be the guy who goes and takes the two-win team and turns it into the eight-win team, this it, these become like the necessary must-win games. All right. Let's move into dinner. Supper. We're all from the South here. Five o'clock on ESPN Plus. UAB goes to UTSA. Fresno State goes to Air Force at 6 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. Ole Miss goes to Missouri at 6 p.m. on ESPN2. Army's at WKU on Stadium. Charlotte goes to Florida International on ESPN+. Facebook has North Texas at Southern Miss. ESPN3 has UMass at La Tech, Louisiana Tech. Uh, Arkansas goes to Kentucky at 6.30 on the SEC Network. At the same time, the ACC Network has Louisville and Wake Forest. Navy is going to Tulsa on ESPNU. Nebraska is going to Minnesota on FS1. Penn State is at Iowa on ABC. USC is at Notre Dame on NBC. We move to 7 o'clock. Florida goes to LSU. That's your big one, obviously. Uh, Somebody I know is going to be there. 7 p.m. Central Time, ESPN. Uh, Pac-12 Network at the same time as Utah and Oregon State. And then uh, we've got... eh, We'll we'll save the last three teams for the drunk, okay? Um, I feel like the drunk slot's just not... Hawaii's been playing a lot of road games, man. They need to get on the stick. Um, All right. Uh, let's do this. Um, let's get the elephant out of the room with this nonsense at Penn State first. Richard, you want to take that? And then we will spend an appropriate amount of time with Florida LSU. And then we'll just sort of pick apart the carcass here because there's a couple other interesting ideas. Sure. Uh, this week has been a very interesting one for Penn State. Um, Penn State special teams ace Jonathan Sutherland received a letter from a 1960s Penn State alum, which called his shoulder-length dreadlocks disgusting, said, and I quote, you need to remember you represent all Penn Staters, both current and those alumni from years past. We would welcome the reappearance of dress codes for athletes. This man, David Peterson, obviously speaking for himself and his wife. Um, And then David Peterson actually doubled down Later, um, basically saying that he doesn't want players that play for Penn State to look like thugs from Florida State and Miami. Um, Yeah. So uh, it's been a weird week for Penn State. Um, Sutherland's a team captain for Penn State, um, special teams ace, plays safety. Um, and and is is a guy who the team holds in high regard. James Franklin came out with an open letter on, I believe, Wednesday that basically decried the statement. I think Sandy Barber, uh, Penn State admin, also did the same thing. Uh, Penn State has rallied behind Sutherland. Um, This came out because one of Sutherland's teammates tweeted it and said, prove to me that this isn't racist. It is. Um, And then it it kind of took off from there. Um, Besides the big game against Iowa, where kind of the eyes of the nation will kind of finally be on Penn State at least a little bit for the first time this season. Also, Penn State's got the HBO show the HBO Hard Knocks style show in town this week. So there's a lot going on for Penn State. Um, you know, I won't go into the the very, very problematic racism that is going on here. What I do wonder is how this gets handled on Saturday night. This is Florida, Florida LSU may be the biggest game of the weekend, but I'd argue more people are gonna watch Iowa Penn State just because it's on ABC. Yep. Like there will be a bigger audience share for that game. Um, Sean McDonough, Todd Blackledge, Holly Rowe are on the call for this game. Uh, Jonathan Sutherland is going to play in this game at some point in time. 
this is going to have to be brought up. And and my question going into this is how does the Mouse House, which has said they don't want to go into politics, they don't want to do all that kind of stuff. We've seen how they've hired, uh, handled the NBA and the NBA issues in China this week um, and danced around those issues awkwardly at times. From a coverage standpoint, how does ESPN handle this? Do you think um, they will? I think they will give it a cursory glance. Um, I, and I I, I want to mention how James Franklin handled it. I do, you know, Richard pointed out one thing. It's, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's ironic. It's something. Maybe it's apropos. This was the week where, that everyone in the nation was going to pay attention to Penn State going into Iowa just by virtue of the schedule. And, you know, these things happen. We've talked about teams like that. All season, it just this is about the time of year where a five and zero or six and zero team sometimes they get a lot of attention, and then this happens. And I'll be honest with you, when I first saw it, I immediately thought, and when I tweeted it out this morning before our recording, I was like, I, I'm not. I had, to, I think I said it twice in the tweet. I was like, look, I'm not being cynical when I say this. I immediately thought, okay, well, James Franklin's going to immediately man- manipulate or or redirect this into a, a team culture message. And when I say that, I can hear myself sounding cynical. I am not being cynical. One of the no, I like I I agree with you. Yeah, and I I think that this is an easy win for Penn State. I do not know if Penn State takes this easy win. Fifteen years ago, I'm going to go pre-Sandusky scandal for a reason. There, I don't know mm-hmm. if Penn State takes that easy win 15 years ago. I don't know if a lot of programs take that easy win 15 years ago, but this is a very, very easy win for program culture circumstances. This is a very easy win for James Franklin to be able to sit in a lot of mama's houses over the next however long he's at Penn State and be able to say, I will support your son chapter and verse uh, and for his African-American identity. That is very, very important. I I don't want to sound cynical like you do when I say that this was kind of a low hanging fruit, easy win for Penn State oh, yeah, to totally. get. I, I think I think it is a. I think it's very important that they took the step to get the easy win to go after the low hanging fruit. Um, I think that is important, uh, just from an institutional perspective about how we talk about African American identity with athletes in general, but college athletes here. I, I think they will tackle this, especially when you told me the announcers. Right, McDonough's done NFL stuff. He's a is he a Q's guy, I think. Yeah, um, he went to Syracuse. Yeah, you know, I, I like that, that's that's kind of capital J journo there, uh, broadcaster wise. But also, Blackwood Black is, is a Penn State grad. Right, he played quarterback at Penn State. I, for anything, I, I, my guess is that Blackwood would be eager to say, uh, you know, hey, James Franklin came out against this hateful message, and like this does not represent us as you know as, as a Nittany nation or whatever they call it. What do they call themselves? I don't know. Nittany nation is that right? No, nah, no, we are All whatever. Right. Uh, but I did think, you, but like, I, look. Blackledge had Blackledge comes from that Joe Pa background. I, I don't know when Joe Pa took off whatever dress code clean cut thing that this uh, that David Peterson, the, the letter writer, stated. But I would imagine Todd Blackledge is from that ilk of Penn State players and and whatnot. Um, I believe he came to Joe Pa's defense during the Sandusky deal. Um, look there. <laughs> a lot going on here for James I think this is also important because James kind of talked about what it's like being one of the you know only black coaches uh, one of the few black coaches he talked about that uh, before the season in a in an article which I with I believe Ben Jones um so Franklin has gone out on this ledge before and this is him doing that again um that's that's important 
uh, and it's noteworthy, especially for James, who James is mixed. So James has that, you know, James is mixed. James has that dichotomy as well. It's a lot going on here. I'm happy with how Penn State handled it. Uh, shout out. That was Ben Jones, by the way, a uh, friend of the program. Ben Jones, wonderful Penn State coverage going back to the, the Joe Pa resignation scandal nonsense. I don't know what nouns we put next to that anymore. Um, uh, yeah. So one of the benefits that I've had in my career is doing a lot of embeds. And one of the things that uh, I can never really, I always struggle with translating out to public is taking what we, what sounds like cliche to fans and media and understanding why it's not a cliche inside the building and messaging and culture are two words that get beaten to death and they're not really fun to read in a quote, but it's a real thing because you're managing the psychology of 130 odd young people simultaneously in the middle of, you know, physical ailments, psychological issues, emotional swings. And I've never seen anybody who can do it who could literally manipulate, again, bad word, bad word with a bad connotation, I'm using it in a positive context here. Franklin has the ability to to shift and move and adjust that that locker room culture, and Bud, you know what I'm talking about here too, when I'm talking about culture, better than almost any other coach I've ever seen, because I've been around him a lot, and I've been around, I think I've done 15, 16 embeds in my career, all different styles of coaches, all different kinds of backgrounds of coaches, and he... Uh, I mean, honestly, he he's sort of lost on football sometimes. He, he would make a wonderful politician. I'll leave it at that. So on a football level, on a football level, gentlemen, uh, Bud will start first. Remember what I just said about Iowa and Iowa makes you play Iowa, right? It makes you play like Iowa when you play Iowa. This was what uh, happened. I want to say the last time this game was in Iowa City, Penn State played like Iowa and won the game, but it was ugly and muddy and it was that Hawkeye type of football. Feels like that could happen again this year. I'm nervous about this one. I've got I've got Penn State twenty eight to one to win the Big Ten. <laughs> Whoa. If they get if if they get this dub, I can hedge this thing out, right? Okay. If they don't, then I'm so gonna what, need if, to beat up. if they win, what will you do? I'll probably go ahead and and play uh play Ohio State and Wisconsin. Or okay. I might just, and, or I might just play Ohio State and then wait and like assuming whoever Ohio State or Penn State makes it, which I think the chance they do at that point would be extremely high. And um, so if they, so it, you take Ohio State on the other side in a vacuum with just those two bets, would you pretty much be guaranteed to break even there? Well, you're not guaranteed if if one of those two wins. Certainly, you'd be yes, guaranteed yes, a, a, yes. a huge profit, uh, but you wouldn't be guaranteed against all other teams. But but yes. there's no there's no need to hedge immediately. You know, on on all other options, right? You got to kind of look at the schedules coming up and and forecast how those potential games might impact the odds. As to the specific game, I actually did play Penn State minus two and a half when it came out. I think it's at four now, so another good movement for the Twitch viewers there. Uh, look, th- these are two top. I-, I think these are two really good defenses. Iowa's offense to me is a little bit suspect. the The egg they laid against Michigan's defense was surprising to me. I want to see if Penn State can get pressure without blitzing as much as, as, as Michigan did. Um, but, man, that, that Iowa offense looked so bad. Uh, and that, that's difficult back-to-back games for Iowa. I I think Penn State will go and get this done, but it's it's definitely an anxiety bowl for me. I, I can report that uh, Iowa's offense is uh, is an Iowa offense. So, therefore, that's that's why you saw what you saw. Richard, uh, what are you thinking here? How, how punty is this going to get? I, I I don't know because I don't know if what happened last week with Iowa and Michigan was because Iowa made Michigan play that way or because Michigan's offense is 
that anemic as anemic. I, I don't know which one holds more weight or if they're both equally weighted. I just don't know what to expect. I know that Penn State's flown all season. Besides that ugly game against Pitt, that offense hasn't really ever looked like bad. They've done what they're supposed to do. Um, th- so I don't know. I don't know about this one. And even in the game against Pitt, this is Penn State put up 6.3 yards of play on a pretty good Pitt defense, right? They they did a really bad job in, in terms of when they got into into Pitt territory and and they had some that they had some drive stalling, but they really did move the ball. They created some explosive plays. Um, I, I I'm kind of a believer in this Penn State offense much more than I was last year. Uh, it's very easy to pick the 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 tasty menu part of this. Uh, essentially, I think you anchor on on these two games. We're about to get into Florida and LSU, and then we're, you can essentially sort of float through the rest. So I just want to get the tasting menu gimmick out of the way here. Uh, Richard, you're going to Baton Rouge. I am going to Baton Rouge, baby. You you are a graduate of the University of Florida. Um, yes, sir. Take me through uh, just. Just take me through it. You don't even have to talk football if you don't want. If you're just feel, if you're feeling the feels about going to Baton Rouge, if you're feeling the feels about Florida being in a place they haven't been in a good bit, um, where you at? I so this Florida team is. I think this Florida team is better than the 2012 version. Um, I think it's different than the 2012 version in a sense of they can win a game in more than one way. That yeah. 2012 team won a game one way all season. Um, they did it well, got to a sugar bowl, but they could only win a game in one way. Um, I think this, this Florida team is similarly, uh, low floor, or I guess maybe high floor, maybe the right way to say it. Um, Florida hasn't run the ball well all season. They had a really, really, really good explosive play against Auburn. Besides that, they had 72 sack adjusted rushing yards. Like, at some point, at some point, the inefficiency to run the ball is going to come to a head. That is probably the biggest thing I think you worry about as a, as a Florida fan going into this game. I'm going to be in this at this game. Um, if you're in Baton Rouge on Saturday, holler at your boy. Um, I've been to Baton Rouge before, but I'm taking Alex Kirshner kind of into the lion's den this time. It, it It's a night game, which we didn't think was going to happen. Um, we don't know why CBS didn't take this game. There are conspiracy theories to whether CBS is, wants to work out something to get LSU and Alabama at night later this season because they've already wasted their night game on Georgia-Notre Dame. I don't know. That wasn't a waste, but I don't know. Um Whatever. This is, I would imagine, the biggest non-Alabama LSU home game in four or five years. It's, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. Um, But on LSU side, I want to get into, especially with Bud, this this thing about this Saints passing influence. If you watch this game on Saturday night, they are going to talk about that a million times. Joe Brady, passing game coordinator, comes over from the Saints to LSU. The Saints passing influence is in LSU. It's in the walls now. You cannot doubt that it is. Uh, Joe Burrow last season adjusted net yards per attempt, which is a weighted measure that accounts for touchdowns, interceptions, and sacks in a quarterback's line. 6.9 adjusted net yards per attempt last season. This season, 12.3 so far. Um, In the Texas game, 75% of his passing yards came through the air, not after the catch per pro football reference, and he finished that contest with a sky-high 11.3 average depth of target. 
on passes that went 10-plus air yards against Texas, completed 18 of 23 for 384 yards and four touchdowns. The Saints' passing influence is in this thing. That means you're going to see trips to one side, single receiver to the left. They're going to run three verts with the trips. They're going to bring the single receiver on a crossing route over the middle to try to pull those linebackers and those safeties in a little bit to try to hit it deep. Joe Burrow has been really, really good up the seam. And that, from an LSU-Florida standpoint, is the most interesting matchup because Florida's linebackers and safeties suspect in pass coverage. LSU is going to try to attack that part of the field all night. Um, LSU is also going to go empty set in this game a lot. Florida's mm-hmm. got something for that, and it's Jabari Zuniga and Jonathan Grenard. Zuniga was healthy enough to play against Auburn. They held him out so that he could play in this game. Um, I'm a blitz empty guy every time, but that does uh, invite you to trouble on the back end, so Florida probably won't do it. Grantham hasn't been as third in Grantham this season, especially against Auburn, as he was in years past. So there it is. I puked it all out on the mic. Um, (laughs) It's going to be fun. I cannot wait. I've got some some thoughts on this now. Richard, I did bet Florida at 14 when this came out. Jesus. And look, I did not want to bet Florida. I wanted to bet LSU. I wanted to take advantage of Florida beating a pretty suspect Auburn team. We talked about in last week's tasting menu that Florida could easily win that game, and they should not be getting three and a half. It just never got to three and a half, so I didn't end up betting the Gators last weekend. The thing, though, that would concern me with my Florida bet, and so it does, uh, Bo Nix on passes. This is a Cole Kublik stat, by the way, from Twitter. Shout out, Cole. Bo Nix on passes of 10 yards or more in the air. Two of 14. Jesus. 78 yards, three interceptions. So if you use the adjusted net yards per play formula, that's a negative 4.1 yards per throw. Per throw on Bo Nix. Literally, Auburn would have been better kneeling the ball 14 times. (laughs) All right. Like, or just running some kind of damn draw. Joe Burrow, on the other hand, I think it, it could have the potential here to have some third and grant the moments on Florida's defense. Because who's the best passer Florida has seen so far this year? Is it Jaron Williams? Jaron Williams? Because <laughs> we just it's established Williams. Miami on passing downs is 93rd in the nation. Is it Sawyer Smith coming in his first game as a backup for Kentucky? Which or they weren't ready for. Jared yeah. Garantano, who just got benched for a true freshman in Brian Marr? Or Bo Nix, who we just... Now, look, I think Florida's defense is really good. There's, that's the reason why I bet on them in this game. Because I do think they're going to be able to slow LSU down some defensively. My only real... And I don't know that LSU's offensive line is that great. Like, what's the best D-line they've played? Texas? I don't think Texas is anything special up front. And Texas didn't really blitz until right. the fourth quarter. exactly. So... The, the ability to competently throw the football to some really talented receivers are two elements that Florida has not really faced this year, and I'm interested to see how they defend that. On the other I, hand, if you're Florida, don't you want to slow this game down as much as possible? You don't want to give LSU 14, 15 possessions with that offense, right? No, you don't want to You don't want to have a situation where Kyle Trask is throwing a ball that Grant Delpit can get within 10 yards of. I mean, right. you do not want that to be, in a sense of, he has to do that in order for them to win. Can Florida uh, go slow tempo with their inability to run the football? Like, can, can they somehow control the tempo of the game if they can't run the football? Because so far this year, you're right. They, they're like, they're exactly, they're, they're rushing explosiveness, like you said. They've had a couple big ones, but on a down to down basis, rushing success rate 115th in the nation. Guys, nerds, <laughs> stop so we can please <laughs> talk about Nebraska and Minnesota. 
Godfrey's had his hand up for like like five minutes. Yeah. No, I I was just gonna let y'all run it out, but you kept going, and I want to give as much time as possible to Nebraska and Minnesota. Um, no, nah, it's gonna be a total trash game, and I think it's gonna be really funny because Nebraska manages to look bad in different ways. Like it's you never really know what kind of assy football you're gonna get, and then you got a. There's old Minnesota over there with their great record, and I can't help but be a hating asshole about Minnesota this year. Um, yeah, I, I we've I mean we've done it. Look, every win except last week against Illinois by one possession. I don't know who's going to look worse. I mean, here's what's going to happen: Nebraska's going to find some incredible new terrible inefficiency, and then Minnesota's only going to win the game by like six, and we're going to you know Adrian keep Martinez. Might be out for Nebraska, the quarterback. Yeah. Like, that's the real disappointment to me with Nebraska this year. I thought Nebraska was overrated coming into the season. If I had not had a kid in the middle of summer, I would have been able to get down more money on Nebraska under futures. But damn kids. Right. Uh, Because, like, Nebraska is one of the most overrated teams in the nation. We thought their defense would not be good because they don't have players. I don't know exactly why Nebraska's offense is not good, but it's not. Right, and so like that's the disappointment is okay. Their offense actually might have taken a step back, and their defense still isn't any good. Minnesota played a good game last week. I, I think Minnesota smacks them. Bud, uh, take us through, uh, clean up the rest of this uh, this slate with some gambling information before we uh, we just go ahead and move on. By the way, your picks obviously Florida at LSU, alternating with Penn State at Iowa. We have not mentioned USC at Notre Dame. We don't have to. You don't. You can't make us. This is my podcast. Um, Bud, give me some gambling before we move on. All right, let's do this. Uh, UAB, UTSA, I didn't take anything. Fresno Air Force, uh, I didn't take anything. Ole Miss, Missouri, John Reese Plumley has got the cover for me two weeks in a row, but this week <laughs> I'm going to lay off because I wasn't sure if Kelly Bryant's going to play. It looks like he's back and, and healthy now. Missouri's a very underrated team gambling-wise. Maybe look for a play in that one later in the week. Army, Western Kentucky, not touching, but Western Kentucky is a sneaky 3-0 in conference, I believe. So um, that's good on them. Uh, maybe, maybe Tennessee should not have gotten rid of Helton. Maybe he wasn't the actual problem there. Yeah, yeah. they they definitely uh, ran him off. Are you in OFT? Before the before you get to Florida, uh, Florida LSU. If you want to watch something really interesting, watch for Wake Forest against Louisville uh, because so Wake Forest has this like wild up tempo offense, but they do this thing, and I guess they've been doing it for two years when they run zone read. They do this mesh point deal where basically the quarterback and the running back basically tiptoe to the original line of scrimmage and then hand it off. It like it is an absolutely anxiety inducing thing. Really? That you just have. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's the weirdest. It's literally one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Um, Brian Brown, Louisville defensive coordinator, minority coordinator of the week to watch just to see how Louisville is able to stand up against Wake Forest, uh, Wake Forest offense. Don't think Louisville's going to win, but um, Brian Brown came in, installed a different type of 3-4 defense where they don't two-gap. Um, basically, usually when you run a 3-4, your nose and your ends are, are taking on one gap and reading to see you know, if they need to go into the other gap. They play two gaps at a time. This is a one-gap slanting defensive line for Louisville. It's a little bit of a twist on a traditional 3-4 front. Um, so maybe Wake Forest may have some issues blocking with that. I don't think they will. The run game isn't necessarily inefficient or efficient for Wake, but it is just really wild to watch. Uh, shout out to Brian Brown, former classmate of one Stephen Godfrey at the University of Mississippi. Nice. I knew Grabbed Brian. out Louisville plus nine in that game, by the way. 
Uh, wanted to give a quick shout-out to Navy for playing extremely well this year and a nice bounce-back season after last year's uh, down year. Arkansas-Kentucky should be interesting in that you should no, in no way watch that game. Um, <laughs> you, UMass, Louisiana Tech, like, I want to. I want the people that pull that game up on a watch list. All right, that, that's <laughs> you, you got problems if, if you're watching that one. Unless you got family in the game, all due respect. Wow. And I took North Texas plus five uh, going to Southern Miss. I think both teams will score a lot, and uh, I, I like taking the points there in a potential shootout. All right, let's go to the evening. Uh, I will say this: so far this season, most, the evening, most of your We're drunk nine thirty. Most of your drunk slate. No, I, I'm talking about the drunk slate. The, most of the drunk slate games have been drunk slate games. So you go out, you have fun, you've had fun all day, you you pass out to the lovely strains of Hawaii scoring 56 points. These are good football games, all of them. So we have three games here. We're going to have to deal with all of them. Um, you need to watch them, so you got to maintain your sobriety, not you, Richard. You're going to be in Baton Rouge. Uh, 9-15 on ESPN2. Hawaii goes to Boise State. That is a massive freaking conference game in the Mountain West. Wyoming goes to San Diego State. Also a pretty big conference game in the Mountain West at 9.30 on CBS Sports Network. And then at 10, uh, Washington, who who the hell knows, is playing an Arizona team that hasn't lost since August to that Hawaii team playing at Boise. Uh, we're already running long, gentlemen. These are three games you, you kind of have to discuss. All three you should flip between in the drunk slot. Uh, this is the best drunk slot of the season. Uh, it, it's better than the morning for sure. I'm interested in, in the narrative outcome of all three of these games. I think my pick to sort of anchor on is, is going to be Hawaii and Boise State. I I think, look, I'll be too drunk to watch any of these. I'll cop to it. I'll cop to it. Um, but Washington and Arizona, I think, is what I want to watch because I want to know if Arizona is actually for real, which I'm not sure that they are. Um, and I want to see what Washington is. I think we're past the stage of trying to figure out what Washington is in a sense of like give them two or three or four weeks to kind of find it. I think whatever Washington put on tape in the next like week or two, like Michigan, that's what it is. That's what they are. I'm I'm right there with you on on that that game being being the game I want to watch. Uh, Richard, they won like five in a row and they turned it around. Kevin Sumlin deserves credit for getting that win with without Khalil Tate against UCLA. They went and if you watched the game last week against Colorado, um, Colorado loaded up against the run and Arizona passed all over them and managed to – I mean, I know Colorado had a lot of guys out uh, with injury. And I watched that Washington-Stanford game, and i got to tell you, man, like not a whole lot of separation for Washington's receivers, but with the guys they have, you need to have a, a thrower who can throw with anticipation. And Jacob Eason has a laser, but he's too much of a see-it-throw-it guy. He, he, he has to wait until these dudes are open to actually fire the ball. He's not throwing it with anticipation. And that allowed these Stanford DBs, who I really I don't know that much about, but I don't think they're like superstar DBs, right? The, well, the one well, kid's Paul's real a, good. Paul's, yeah, Adebo's really good. But the, the other guys were, were also making PBUs. And I was like, damn, like they're all over these Washington receivers. And a lot of it was because the ball was not coming out on time. And it wasn't like Stanford was getting that much pressure on Eason. So I don't know if he's just not seeing the game quickly enough or if he doesn't trust it, but... Right now, Washington's passing game is, is a step behind. And they're also, they've been a sneaky bad road team under, under Peterson over the last year and a half. Does anyone want to talk me out of Hawaii being legitimately good? Not really, because that'd be really fun. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, it's total fun bias right now. I think they're probably like 
safely in the top 80. Okay. Like, they're not in the bottom third of college football anymore. Okay. Yeah, definitely. That defense is still pretty bad. I mean, well, and it is still impossible to maintain recruiting consistency on the island, so this could fall apart just as easily as it comes together, and I get that. Attrition and their depth chart is always weird, but let's do a little look ahead here. Boise, this is the stretch. You've got Hawaii and BYU in back-to-back weeks, and then it's uh, not coasting, but close to it in San Jose State, Wyoming, New Mexico. Possible trap game at Utah State before going into the season finale at Colorado State. They're more than likely going to see Fresno. Um, We're going to have to talk about Boise as the undefeated G5. We're not going to talk about them in playoff context. It breaks my heart to say that. My beloved Murder Smurfs. Um, You get through these next two weeks, and I will ride for Boise over the field in the American Athletic Conference. Gentlemen, fight me. Well, is anybody going to get out of the AAC undefeated? That is a a very, very good question. Because what we saw with SMU – is that SMU, I think, is is not really ready to kind of break out yet because Tulsa's the game that they should have won by 35. We said it on the podcast last year. The post-game win expectancy in that game for SMU was 22%. Um, mm. Obviously, UCF's already lost. Um, I don't think Memphis is going to get out of the season unscathed. So, yeah, it's Boise or nothing. If Memphis does, Memphis deserves to go over Boise. Gentlemen. I think. I love to start and end a podcast talking about the group of five. You've done well. I will see you both ne- next week. Uh, Richard, you will not be on the Sunday Hurry Up for obvious logistic and uh, blood alcohol reasons. Uh, please don't die, and I will see you next week, gentlemen. No promises. <laughs>